Can you dream of a world immune to cancer? Hello everyone, my name is Nick and I'm the host of the annual live stream for The Cure where content creators and podcasters from around the world join me to raise money for the Cancer Research Institute and Immunotherapy Research, which is training the body's immune system to fight against all forms of cancer. Over the past seven years, thanks to the power of indie podcasters and the indie podcasting community and listeners just like you listening to this right now, we have raised over $90,000. And as I record this now, the eighth annual live stream for The Cure is barreling down upon us really, really quickly in just about two weeks. So join us, please, from May 29th through June 1st for 48 hours of amazing content from people all over the world and help us fight for a world immune to cancer. I'll now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Thank you so, so much. And together... We can make a difference. Treasure the experience. Dreams fade away after you wake up. In a world overflowing with movies, we need a hero. Someone to separate the bad from the good. Hi everyone, I'm Em and welcome to Verbal Diorama episode 77, Your Name or Kimi no Nawa to give it its Japanese name. This is the podcast that's all about the history and legacy of movies you know and movies you don't. And this is episode 3 of Animation Season 2021. This season will run through January and February of this year and I want to showcase 10 animated movies from different studios, different countries and different animation styles. Um, And as always, whether you're a returning listener or a new listener, you are so very welcome to this podcast, uh, especially this episode, because I feel like this episode is something very special. Animation is something that I've always been very passionate about. So if that's you, then obviously, hello, Kindred Spirit. This episode is on a movie that I only actually saw last year for the first time, but it really stuck with me. Uh, And it was something that stuck with me for days after watching it. And I kind of feel like this is the power that animation can portray. The last episode, so episode 76, was on The Secret of Nim. And because I have a new recording schedule now, I don't actually know what the response to The Secret of Nim is because... So I'm now recording this episode before The Secret of Nim is actually released to the general public. Um, so I don't actually know what you think about The Secret of Nim, um, but the episode before that was on Coco, and everyone loves Coco. I don't think there's anyone who doesn't love Coco, but the comments for Coco are really nice, um, and my guest, friend and patron, Claudia, uh, actually got quite a lot of praise. Uh, people who listened thought that she just gave a wonderful insight to Coco, just speaking from her experiences as a Mexican-American, and that was just complete delight. Uh, it was lovely to have her on, it was lovely to sit and chat with her, virtually, obviously. And just a massive thank you to people who really seem to love Coco. I got some really lovely photographs online, um, celebrations that were happening in Mexico City for Coco, um, and it's just so lovely to hear such positive reactions to Coco and I really hope that The Secret of Nim once it gets released also has a similarly positive reaction. Going back to Coco, Coco and Your Name share some interesting links too um, and that's something that I want to talk about in a bit but I think it's safe to say that Your Name isn't very well known, not at least here in the UK. I kind of heard about it on the grapevine but I didn't really know much about it. Obviously it's not that way in Japan, like it's a stormer in Japan. Uh, Everyone in Japan knows your name. But I will say that I will be talking spoilers for your name. And this is very much a movie that you need to watch unspoiled. It really does deserve to watch with fresh eyes. And I don't normally give spoiler warnings, I'll be completely honest. But if you are interested in 
your name and you haven't seen your name and you're listening to this right now and you are in the UK, it is available on Netflix here in the UK. So please watch your name first and then come back to this episode because I guarantee that it is something that you will want to watch without being spoiled. I kind of feel like if I have known what was going to happen in your name, it wouldn't have hit me so emotionally as it did. Um, So I really do implore you, if you haven't seen your name, please go and watch it and then come back to this episode. Um, And just a final thing, I always say on episodes featuring Japanese animation, uh, the whole kind of subs v dubs argument, it's not really an argument as far as I'm concerned, um, because I kind of feel like it's not my place to gatekeep. So I've seen your name twice. Uh, Both of those times the version was dubbed. Uh, because it's the version on Netflix. But I would not be opposed to watching it with subtitles. Um, And I kind of feel like, as I kind of said with all of the movies that I've featured that are from Japan, subs v dubs, it doesn't matter. However you choose to watch it, just watch it. And that is the official verbal diorama line. And without further ado, here is the dubbed trailer for Your Name. And the only reason I chose the dubbed trailer was because I felt that the subbed trailer wouldn't really translate, excuse the pun, very well to an audio format. Um, So the dubbed trailer for Your Name, um, and sort of going through this podcast as well, uh, I will also add uh, apologies in advance if I butcher any Japanese names or words. (laughs) Because there's a strong possibility that I might, and it's never intentional. But anyway, here is the dub trailer for your name. The day a star fell. It was almost like... Like seeing something out of a dream. Nothing more or less than a breathtaking view. Want to hit the cafe later? Thanks, but I gotta go to work. I can't stand this place anymore. It's too small and towny. Please make me a handsome Tokyo boy in my next life! Where? Now that you mention it, I do feel like I've been having weird dreams lately. Like a dream about someone else's life? What is this? What does this mean? In our dreams, that girl and I... We're switching places? There's one thing I'm certain of. If we see each other, we'll definitely know right away. I was planning to tell you that wherever you are in the world, I swear that I'll find you again no matter what. Who are you? Who are you? The day the stars fell, two lives changed forever. High schoolers Mitsuha and Taki are complete strangers living separate lives. She in a small mountain town, he in bustling Tokyo City. But one night they suddenly switch places. Mitsuha wakes up in Taki's body and he in hers. This bizarre occurrence continues to happen randomly and the two must adjust their lives around each other. Yet somehow it works. They build a connection and communicate by leaving notes, messages, and more importantly, an imprint. When a dazzling comet lights up the night sky, something shifts, and they seek each other out wanting something more, a chance to finally meet. But try as they might, something more daunting than distance prevents them. Is the string of fate between Mitsuha and Taki strong enough to bring them together, or will forces outside of their control leave them forever separated? Right, I'm going to go through the Japanese and English voice cast for this movie, because like I said... Doesn't really matter which version you've watched, but I personally have watched the dubbed version. So I want to kind of go through both. So we have Ryanosuke Kamiki and Michael Sinterniklas as Taki Takibana. Muni Kamishi Raisi and Stephanie Shea as Mitsuha Miyamizu. Ryo Narita and Kyle Herbert as Katsuhiku Teshigawara. Ayao Yuki and Cassandra Morris as Sayaka Natori. Nobunaga Shimizaki and Ben Pronsky as... Tsukasa Fuji, Kato Ishikawa and Ray Chase as Shinta Takagi, Masami Nagasawa and Laura Post as Miki Okudera, Etsuko Ichihara and Glynis Ellis as Hitoha Miyamizu, and Kanon Tani and Katie Harvey as Yotsuha Miyamizu. The movie was written and directed by Makoto Shinkai. And the idea for your name came from Makoto Shinkai's visit to Yuriagi 
It's a small fishing port in eastern Japan, part of the larger town Natori. On the 11th of March 2011, an undersea megathrust earthquake off the Pacific coast of Tohoku, measuring 9 to 9.1 on the Richter scale, occurred 18 miles under the ocean. That event, now known as the Great East Japan Earthquake, was the most powerful earthquake ever recorded in Japan and the fourth most powerful earthquake in the world since records began. It moved Honshu 2.4 metres east. It shifted the Earth 10 to 25 centimetres of its axis. It increased Earth's rotation speed by 1.8 microseconds per day. But with an earthquake so large and so deep in the ocean, it also triggered powerful tsunami waves that reach heights of up to 40.5 metres. The water travelled up to 435 miles per hour and up to six miles inland. And coastal towns and cities in Japan's eastern seaboard had eight to ten minutes of warning at most. The Japanese fishing port of Yuriagi was home to more than 7,000 people and the 2011 tsunami wiped it off the map. And it's quite disturbing really. Uh, One of the things that I did when I learned about Yuriagi was I had a look on Google Maps and I zoomed into this tiny little fishing port and you can just see the devastation. There is just large sections of this town that just do not exist. There's no buildings. It's just land with nothing on it. And it's quite shocking, really, to still see these images uh, because I very much remember looking at these images uh, when the earthquake happened um, and watching these tsunami waves and just being absolutely petrified. And like I'm the other side of the world, so we can't even imagine how people in Japan were feeling when they saw these images. But the reason I'm mentioning the Great East Japan earthquake is because Makoto Shinkai visited Yuriagi and he felt a deep connection to this incident and he believed that it could have easily been his town that was affected by this natural disaster. Um, And he wanted to make a movie uh, where the lives of the people in Yuriagi could be swapped with someone else. And to be honest, there's very little beauty in a tsunami wiping towns from existence. And like I say, the the images from that tsunami still haunt me to this day. Um, But it adds a layer of emotional complexity to your name that it's somewhat based on a real life event. Um, And also the trauma surrounding such an event on the rest of the population, because it's not just the affected communities that are going to suffer from something like this. It's the whole country And to an extent, the world suffers from things like this. And the fear that this sort of thing can happen again or could happen repeatedly is, I think, something that we can, on a small scale, relate to with things that are happening, you know, just generally in the world right now. The same year, 2016, when Your Name came out, uh, Japan also released Shin Godzilla, uh, which is obviously a reboot of the classic monster movie. Uh, and, And Godzilla, as a character was itself a response to a real-life event. It was a response to the atomic bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Um, But your name is quite considerably more subtle in the kind of impending doom and gloom than something like Shin Godzilla, uh, which is a bit more smashy-smashy. I've not seen it. I assume it's smashy-smashy. Your name is, is kind of so positively luminous and upbeat It's kind of hard to come to terms with when you realise what actually happened in this world. So I don't mean our world. I mean the world of your name. Um, Because from the very opening moments of your name, we know that the event linking Mitsuha and Taki is celestial in nature. Uh, A comet falls to Earth. uh, The trajectory of broken fragments hurtle towards the small town of Itamori. Uh, Itamori, by the way, is completely fictional. Um, I remember when I first saw Itamori and the, the, the image of this huge lake, it reminded me very much of a city in New Zealand called Rotorua. Uh, I don't know if anyone's ever been to New Zealand, but I visited Rotorua and it sits at the base of this huge lake, uh, which is actually formed by the crater of a volcano. Um, so whenever I see uh, this kind of image of Itamori, it just reminds me of Rotorua. And the film itself, so Your Name takes inspiration from real-life locations throughout Hida and Tokyo to create these ultra-realistic-looking, beautiful cityscapes and, and some of the most beautiful... And I'm, I don't have the English language 
to be able to explain how beautiful your name looks. I literally can't do it. It's something that you have to see to, to truly kind of understand the scope and, and the sheer exhilarating beauty of the naturalistic looking animation. It's, it's honestly some of the most beautiful animation that I have ever seen in my life. Um, and I don't just mean the, the the comet, although that in itself with these beautiful rainbow colourings is just completely stunning. I mean, literally the whole movie is a work of art. Every frame in this movie is a work of art. Talking of the comet, the opening scenes where you have kind of the comet hurtling through the clouds, it was animated by Takashi Hashimoto. He also worked on Ponyo for Studio Ghibli, as well as Ghost in the Shell. And it truly is as enthralling to watch as a real comet show would be. I've never seen a real comet, I have to admit. But I can imagine that if it looks like this, I would just be mesmerised by it. Uh, Hashimoto would also animate the fire scene during the dance sequence. But I want to talk about the dance sequence specifically in a little bit, because I think that sequence is especially beautiful. Um, one thing that I am going to do is I'm going to resist the urge to mention Hayao Miyazaki in this episode. I'm only going to mention him this once and maybe mention his name a couple more times in reference to this. Um, and that's because a lot of people compare Shinkai to Miyazaki. And I think that's kind of unfair. And I want to say why. And mainly because, A, I've seen more of Miyazaki's work than I have Shinkai's. In fact, this is the only Makoto Shinkai movie that I have ever seen. And B, going on your name alone, your name feels more grounded and real, in inverted commas, than anything that I've seen from Miyazaki. And I've seen a lot of Miyazaki's work. Um, but Miyazaki likes to use fantasy to convey a character's journey. And your name has fantasy elements. It's fantastical. It's a body swap, time travel story, after all. But it's kind of in a different realm of fantasy. It's, it's like realistic fantasy is the best way that I can describe it. And although I'll probably, towards the end of the episode, like I like to recommend stuff, I will recommend some Miyazaki at the end of this episode. It's That recommendation is purely from an aesthetical animation point of view. Because I will stress that Shinkai is not Miyazaki and Miyazaki is not Shinkai. They are two very distinctive individuals who do very distinctive individual pieces of work. Um, I think Shinkai himself has also denounced the dubbing of being the new Miyazaki. Um, he is very respectful of Miyazaki. He thinks that he is uh, an animation legend, which of course he is. Um, but, you know, he basically said, I'm my own guy. I do my own thing. I respect what Miyazaki does, um, but I like to do things my way. And I think that's completely fair. So this is the last time I'm going to mention Miyazaki in this episode because this is an episode about your name and this is an episode about Makoto Shinkai um, and basically what he's done. And it's, I mean, it's phenomenal. I want to talk about the themes and I'm kind of going to go back and forth with themes because I kind of feel like the themes of your name have always been the most kind of striking, the most striking kind of outside of the, the animation. And and the thing that struck me the most was kind of this cultural underpinning of tradition versus modernity. And I kind of feel like that is very prescient to Japan because globalisation has kind of led to this sense of cultural loss in Japan. Um, I believe they call it mukokuseki, which means like stateless. And it's something that has kind of led to this trope in modern anime where characters deliberately lack Japanese ethnicity. But it can also relate to historical traditions being whitewashed, to kind of coin a phrase, it's probably not the best phrase to use, but it's the only one I can think of, where you've got these historical traditions and these cultural traditions being removed or kind of dying out of this modern Japanese lifestyle. You know, you kind of see it in this movie where you have these kind of beautiful, traditional countryside shrines, and then you have this like neon metal skyline uh, of Tokyo. The rural towns and the customs are vanishing and are being replaced by the technologically advanced, vapid cityscapes. And Japan as a country has always fascinated me with these kind of tradition versus technology. And it's one of the reasons why I've, I mean, I've never been to Japan, but I've always wanted to visit Japan because I want to see these two sides of Japan because they're kind of two sides of the same coin. I want to see kind of the traditional rural Japan uh, with the traditions and the culture but I also want to see the modern 
neon Japan as well. Uh, and I'm, I'm completely fascinated by both. But it does seem to me that kind of slowly but surely uh, technology is kind of winning this war in Japan against tradition. And this is something that your name kind of does go into when you have a character like Mitsuha who is brought up with this traditional values of spirituality and the gods and performing these traditional rituals passed down from her grandmother. But all of the other kids in her school are kind of, you know, making fun a little bit uh, of those traditions because they're a bit more modern in their sensibilities than the Miyamizu family are. I'm going to be talking about threads and weaving and stuff in a little bit, but but the power of tradition is kind of woven into the plot of your name. And it is a very complicated plot, but because narratively it doesn't really have a logical structure, you kind of have to pick apart the pieces. So I kind of just wanted to go through this chronological order of events in your name, um, just to kind of go through, mainly for my benefit, to be completely honest, because there are still some things in this movie that I question. But if you are interested, let's go through the chronological order of events. So at the very start, so this is 1,200 years ago, uh, from 2016, because that's when the movie is set, uh, Itamori was created by a comet. So the comet was named Tiamat, after the Mesopotamian goddess of primordial chaos. So the comet splits and it strikes the earth and it creates the lake that the town sits on and also the site of the Miyamizu Shinto shrine. And comet splitting is essentially a metaphor for this connecting link between two people. One connection becomes two connections. It's also this kind of perfect juxtaposition between beauty and death and that neither are mutually exclusive, which is something I kind of felt linked it to Coco. It's not the only reason that I think it links to Coco, but mainly that the theme that death was not the end for Mitsuha. But fast forward, let's fast forward uh, a, a thousand years or so. And Mitsuha and Yotsuha's mother dies. Uh, and their father is distraught, but he decides that he wants to leave. He wants to renounce the spiritual way of life of this family. And he leaves his daughters with their grandmother, Hitoha, who is Mitsuha's maternal grandmother. And Hitoha is now raising both girls. And she explains that the women in the Miyamizu family line share spiritual ties with people which fade over time uh, and become distant memories. Hitoha believes in respecting tradition and raises her granddaughters to do so. So they perform Shinto rituals. They create Kuchi Kamizaki, which is sake created by chewing rice and spitting it out, uh, which is a bit gross, but okay. Uh, <laughs> so the saliva ferments the rice into alcohol. And this is explained by Hitoha as leaving half of yourself to the gods. Hitoha also has them twine red yarn thread and explains the connections made when you weave the thread together. It makes the thread strong. And as I said, it's at this point, after being berated by some kids from her school, that Mitsuha wishes to be a handsome Tokyo boy. And it's then that Mitsuha starts randomly waking up as Taki several times for several weeks, completely at random. Mitsuha, after these experiences, being this young boy, and all of a sudden having boy bits instead of girl bits and living this young man's life, decides to travel to Tokyo to find Taki. And so she goes on a train and she sees him, but he doesn't know who she is. So she throws him her red yarn bracelet. Uh, and this gives Taki a continued link with Mitsuha that continues even after her death. You'll notice that he wears it around his wrist. Uh, so essentially, 1,200 years after the first comet strike, a second comet strikes Itamori. It destroys the town um, and it kills most of the people who live in the town. It's at this point that Taki then wakes up in Mitsuha's body and experiences the same body swapping kind of several times over several weeks on the same dates, but three years prior. So Taki decides then to find Mitsuha and learns that she's from Itamori. Whether it's a plot hole that he doesn't know where she lives, I'm not entirely certain because I kind of feel like if you wake up in someone's body, is the first thing that you would do find out where you are? I don't know. I think you'd be kind of a bit preoccupied with the fact that you were a boy 
and now you're sitting in a girl's body and you're in a completely random place. Uh, I don't know. I don't know whether you could consider that a plot hole or not. But anyway, so he doesn't know that she is in Itamori, but he finds out that she's in Itamori. And he also finds out that Itamori was destroyed by a comet strike three years ago. Taki then visits the shrine that he visited while in Mitsuha's body uh, and he drinks the Kuchikamizaki, which then links him back to Mitsuha on the day the comet is due to strike because he was Mitsuha when she offered Kuchikamizaki to the gods. Okay, so <laughs> this is not getting confusing for me at all, but Taki then enlists Mitsuha's friends to save the town from the impending comet, which doesn't work because... Taki is Mitsuha. Mitsuha isn't Mitsuha. You're kind of essentially then led to believe that their plan has failed because the townsfolk haven't evacuated like they were supposed to. But now they switch back to their own bodies, Taki and Mitsuha meet at Tosagari Doki, which is twilight. And this is when the worlds blur together. So this is the only moment in time when they can actually see and speak to each other. Taki gives Mitsuha back her bracelet, which severs their connection. And before they can write down each other's name, the connection is gone. And all that's left is just the words, I love you, on Mitsuha's hand. And that's it. Um, but because the red yarn bracelet is no longer with Taki, the connection has then been severed. Mitsuha manages to go back and save most of the town of Itamori. And she never dies because she manages to save the town. But as a consequence of Taki returning the red yarn bracelet, they forget each other. And they continue to live their lives, but they always kind of believe that something is missing. They eventually see each other, they find a connection, and at that point they ask for each other's name. And it's also at that point that I start to cry. <laughs> it's the simplest of love stories, really. You know, boy meets girl, they get to know each other, they grow up and they drift apart before finding each other again in early adulthood. I mean, if only, if only it really happened like that in real life. <laughs> the final scenes, actually, I kind of worked out in my own head. They're set in 2021. This movie is partially set this year. I mean, can you even imagine <laughs> this happening in 2021? The thing that I love about Your Name is it's a beautifully realised love story with this kind of science fiction element that I don't think would actually work. In live action. It's one of the reasons why I love animation so much. I've always kind of said it's this all-encompassing art form. Like you can do anything in animation. There are no limits to what you can portray in animation. And Your Name is such an excellent example of that. And I know live action movies have done body swap and they've done time travel and they've done time travel body swap. But I feel like just the complete visual splendour of this movie wouldn't work in live action because it'd be CGI and it would look rubbish. Let's be perfectly honest. Little details that I really love about this movie is things like the Miyamizu family, uh, the names of the women in the Miyamizu family. You have Hitoha, Futaba, Mitsuha and Yotsuha. And that literally translates to one leaf, two leaf, three leaf, four leaf. It's a connection. And I'm going to talk a lot about connection in this episode because there are connections between everything. But this is a connection between the women of the story, the women who all share this same gift to spiritually connect to another person are all connected to each other. And the Miyamizu women, going back generations, you know, they used to know more uh, about this power until the great fire of Meiyugoru burned the documents containing the information about these traditions. And so they have to be passed down from mother to daughter, verbally, essentially. Um, but due to the connections being lost, eventually, or being forgotten, and from these kind of hazy memories that uh, Hitoha mentions, no one remembers how to actually act on the spiritual connections forged by these rituals of Kuchikamazaki and honouring the gods. And I want to talk about a specific scene that really stands out to me as being, I think, one of the most underratedly beautiful moments in this movie. And that's the scene where Mitsuha and Yotsuha dance a traditional dance. I uh, believe it's called a uh, kabuki dance, but I may not be 100% on that. So sorry if I got that wrong. But the dance that they do is so fluid. It, it's, it's almost real. It almost feels like it was rotoscoped. It's that realistic looking. Um, it was choreographed and performed by kabuki actor Kazutoro Nakamura. Uh, it was also animated by another ex-Ghibli artist, Naoko Kawahara. Um, and it's just such a beautiful, underrated scene of this 
really traditional dance with these bells and, and just the wonderful kind of fluidity of the bodies. It's just so gorgeous. Everything about this movie is so beautiful. And red is a very prolific colour in that scene. And red, and specifically red yarn or red ribbon or red rope or whatever you want to call it, red string, uh, however you want to describe it, is not only key to connection, but it's also key to understanding who is in control of whose body. Because any shots of Taki wearing a red ribbon on his wrist are Taki in Taki's body. And any shots of Mitsuha wearing a red ribbon in her hair are Mitsuha in Mitsuha's body. Because Taki never wears the red ribbon when he's in charge of Mitsuha's body, mainly because he wouldn't have a clue how to style her hair using it. There's a trope called the red string of fate. It's a very common Asian cultural trope where two people with a shared destiny are bound together by red string. It stems from Chinese mythology, where Yue Lao, the lunar matchmaking god, is in charge of the red thread of marriage. In Japanese culture, it's called Akaito, and it's bound from a man's thumb to a female's little finger, and it's two people connected by the thread. They are destined to be together regardless of time or place. Uh, and obviously that, is, again, is something that's very important for your name, because there is no such thing as time or place in your name. There's also lots of imagery in this movie of halves, uh, things like half moons, and also lines as well. And when you talk about halves, it's essentially a circle with a line through it. So lines are basically symbolism of worlds, such as the stream on top of the mountain being the line between the world of the living and the world of the dead, uh, which is another lovely link to Coco as well. And you've obviously got lots of shots of opening and closing doors. And most of the times it's a sliding door. The sliding doors are a physical barrier dividing two places, which is also treated as a line. Other lines, such as when they pass on the Suga Shrine steps, with that kind of physical barrier between them, is also a line. It's really fascinating, actually, to kind of look into this movie in a bit more detail, because you can watch it and you can enjoy it and you can take something from it, because I kind of feel like this is a sort of movie where you watch it, you enjoy it. And for me personally... I couldn't stop thinking about this movie for days after I watched it. It's one of the reasons why it's actually featuring in this season. Because like I said, I only saw it last year and it just stuck with me so much that I felt like I have to talk about this movie. I have to get at least one more person to watch this movie. And if this podcast gets one more person to watch this, then I will be totally happy with that. Because I feel like here in the UK, it's really, really unknown and underrated and like I say I didn't even know it was on Netflix it just so happened that I saw it one day and I remembered hearing that it was a really good movie and watching it and just being blown away by how visually splendid it is and it really really is but there's also so many underlying themes to this movie of the connection between two people and I don't like the terminology other half to describe someone that you're in a relationship with I often feel like, for me personally, I've never described myself as anyone's other half. <laughs> this is going to sound really weird. But to me, I am a whole complete person. I am not half of another person. Uh, so I've never wanted, I've never had any desire to call myself someone's other half. Like I would be someone's partner. I would be someone's significant other. I would be, you know, someone's whatever. But I would never be their other half. But I feel like this movie compels me to look at things in a different way, to maybe not be so cynical about love, because I am very cynical about love. I don't think I would ever reach a point where I would agree with the terminology of other half. But I think for this movie, the way this movie is framed, the way this movie is set up, when you have... Taki and Mitsuha, they are two halves of the same whole. That's how the movie sets them up. They are always destined to be together. And I am a bit of a sucker for a, a good romance. And so I think that's why this movie really connects with me on a, on a very kind of visceral, emotional level. Because I cry so hard at the end of this movie. Because I'm so happy for the characters that they found each other again. And I feel like the cynic in me <laughs> really wants to dislike movies like this because I'm not a massive fan of romance movies as a, a genre of film. It's not my favourite. Uh, but because this is animation, because you've got this sci-fi element, I am just 
wholly enthralled by this movie and everything about it. So despite my uh, <laughs> my cynical reaction to the idea of, of love and other halves and, and connections and finding soulmates and all of that sort of stuff, the sort of stuff that I've never truly invested in, I'm invested in it in this movie, in this environment. It still speaks to me as a person, as a human being, as a woman, to have this emotional connection with another person. And basically what I'm saying is I'm going to move on to the obligatory Keanu reference because Keanu Reeves is a man who I have always desired a very deep emotional and physical and romantic connection with. So it makes perfect sense to do the obligatory Keanu reference which is a part of the podcast where I like to link the movie that I'm featuring with Keanu Reeves in some way. And obviously, the plot of Your Name is very similar to Keanu's 2006 romantic drama, The Lake House, uh, where he and Sandra Bullock share letters while living in a house two years apart. It was also, interestingly, a bit of a Lake House fact for you, Lake House fans, it was the first title to be simultaneously released on DVD, HD DVD and Blu-ray on the same day. Japanese rock band Radwimps provided the soundtrack for Your Name. Uh, Makoto Shinkai requested music to supplement and complement the dialogue. So four theme songs were composed by lead vocalist Yujiro Noda. They are Yumatoro, Zen Zen Zens, Sparkle and Nademonea. I hope I pronounced that right. Um, it's a really interesting musical counterbalance to have this kind of very sweet romantic story and then on the other hand you've got this kind of pop rock music um but i really like it i really do and i'm i'm a big fan of rock music just generally um but i think it, it's kind of again this juxtaposition between you expect it to have a very sweet melodic score with you know sweeping music and and you know all of these kind of beautiful romantic uh, auras that you would expect to come out of the music and then you have like these kind of thumping drums and guitars and and it really does work actually and it works from the point of view that this is a story about teenagers really uh it's not an almighty love story across the ages you know it's not titanic it is basically about these kids and i feel like the music is so spot on actually i would quite happily listen to the soundtrack of this movie uh, although I don't understand the lyrics, but I think the music is actually really, really great. So when it came to being released, uh, Your Name premiered at the 2016 Anime Expo in Los Angeles on the 3rd of July 2016, uh, before being released theatrically in Japan on the 26th of August 2016. It was released in the UK on the 18th of November 2016 and in the US on 7th of April 2017. And I mentioned earlier about Your Name being a phenomenon in Japan. And when I say phenomenon, I kind of mean, you know, a colossal smash hit. Literally one of the biggest movies ever, 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 ever in Japan. Um, so it ended up grossing 25.03 billion yen in Japan. That's $233.8 million alone in Japan. That's not worldwide gross. That is on its own in Japan. It topped the Japanese film chart for a record-breaking 12 non-consecutive weekends, and nine of those were consecutive. Uh, it accounted for 10% of Japan's 2016 box office revenue on its own. It became the highest grossing Japanese film in China. Uh, furthermore, it's still the fifth highest grossing film in Japan ever, and the third highest grossing anime movie in the world after Spirited Away and Demon Slayer Mugen Train. Demon Slayer Mugen Train actually only came out last year as well. Um, so before then, it was Spirited Away and then Your Name. The movie made $358 million worldwide. So if you look at the figures, $233.8 million just in Japan, $358 million worldwide. So it was a massive smash hit in Japan. And not only was it a massive financial smash hit, it was also a massive critical smash hit as well. Uh, currently sits at 98% on Rotten Tomatoes, which kind of says it all. Two critics, only two, didn't like it. One of them was from the Mail on Sunday, which kind of tells you everything you need to know. Because when it comes to quality journalism here in the UK, the Mail is not a quality newspaper. Awards-wise, it kind of feels 
feels like your name lost out massively, actually. When it came to Western awards season, it won a string of awards in Japan. Like I say, it was a smash in Japan. It was actually re-released to qualify for an Academy Award nomination, but it didn't get one. As I've mentioned, though, on previous episodes, 2016 was an excellent year in the animation category, especially at the Academy Awards. I featured Kubo and the Two Strings and Moana on previous episodes. Both of those were nominated for Academy Awards that year. Uh, The winner was Zootopia, which I haven't featured, but I probably will do at some point. And so I kind of feel like 2016 was such a great year for animation. It's unfortunate for your name that it didn't get a nomination, but it so deserves one. It really, really did deserve one. Um, But all of the nominees that year were so worthy of a nomination so yeah a really really difficult year makoto shinkai would go on to write and direct 2019's weathering with you which again was musically composed by radwimps um unlike your name weathering with you would be submitted as japan's entry for best foreign language film um at the academy awards but ultimately never got a nomination um i've actually not seen weathering with you yet but i'm going to I've heard a lot of comparisons between your name and Weathering With You, a lot of negative comparisons for Weathering With You, purely based on the fact that it's being compared to your name just because of the Makoto Shinkai link. The Makoto Shinkai connection, let's say. But I really do want to see Weathering With You. I'm going to try and find it on streaming at some point in the near future. A novelisation of your name was written by Makoto Shinkai. It was released a month prior to the film premiering in June 2016. Uh, That novel sold 1.3 million copies in Japan and a visual guide to your name uh, also sold 1.2 million copies. And now when we talk about live action adaptations or remakes, a lot of the time they are remade for a Western audience. And a lot of the time it's not what the original creators would want. But there is a live action film that's being produced by J.J. Abrams. And it is an American remake. Uh, The original rights holders want it to be made from a Western point of view. Lee Isaac Chung is signed on to write and direct. And it will be set in America. It will be about a Native American girl from a small town and a Chicago boy who discover they are swapping bodies. Whether the cultural references uh, are going to be updated to maybe include some traditional Native American rituals and traditions I don't know but I would really hope that they would do something if you're going to include someone of Native American descent I would hope that you're going to use some of the traditions that those Native American tribes would have used let's hope that they kind of stay as true to the premise of your name as possible and they don't just make it a random body swap because I kind of feel like the deep meanings of tradition and rituals is so deeply entwined in the fabric of your name i feel like a bog standard remake that's just a body swap teen romance wouldn't it would miss the mark completely i want to move over to social media thoughts um and what i'm doing now is i am separating patreon thoughts patrons now get these episodes six days early they used to get them two days early now they get them six days early because they're patrons and I want to also highlight their thoughts specifically, as well as giving their podcast, if they have one, a a bit of a plug. There is one patron comment um, for this episode on your name. It is from Scott from the Monkey See Monkey Review podcast. And he says, Traditionally, I'm a bit of an anime avoider, but on a number of strong recommendations, I managed to catch your name on a limited IMAX re-release and was stunned. Gloriously animated, moving and fascinating, criminally underseen. And thanks, Scott, for your comment. Uh, Scott is the very latest patron of the podcast. He was number 18. And he's also become quite a good friend. Uh, We often chat via Twitter DM. So make sure you check out Monkey See Monkey Review, uh, which Scott hosts with Chris and Kev. I believe they're about to celebrate their one year anniversary. And they are a lovely bunch of guys. So I will pop a link to Monkey See Monkey Review in the show notes and make sure you check them out. Right, moving over to social media comments. Now, there isn't very many for your name. And I'm a bit sad about that just because I kind of feel like this movie really deserves to be seen. Um, And I appreciate that probably not many people have seen it. Um, And those who have seen it, they might not be completely interested in having their thoughts read out in a podcast about it. But um, we do have a few, uh, which I'm happy about. 
Um, and they're all over on Twitter. So there's none on Instagram and none on Facebook. Um, but there are some on Twitter. So we'll start with a regular contributor to uh, this section, Brendan at BLC Agnew, who says... Your Name is not only a film that may as well be a poster child for, well, that escalated quickly, but is also a deceptively complex work of editing and narrative propulsion. By the time you reach the film's midpoint, what started as a light body swap rom-com has morphed into something like a sweeping romantic epic. Your Name is eye-catching in its beauty and immediate watchability, but lingers in the memory even as its characters' actions and attachments reverberate back and forth through the film. While the film goes big and broad with genres at times, it's the smallest and most mundane moments of connection that it postulates are worth fighting for, like sharing a drink, watching a sunset, or remembering an old friend's name. For true love is as intimate as it is vast. At Vixen Vich said, I went in expecting a silly body swap anime, but what I got was so much more beautiful and heart-wrenching. Don't spoil it for yourself. Everyone should see this movie. And finally, at Roulette Cinema said, Personally love this movie, excited to hear what you think. And as I said, there are none on Instagram or Facebook, but hopefully, <laughs> hopefully people have seen your name uh, since I posted on uh, social media just before this episode came out, actually, uh, to remind people that it is available on Netflix. Hopefully some people have seen it and hopefully, retrospectively, people have comments on your name because I really do think this movie is well worth watching. As I said earlier in this podcast, the first time I saw your name, I was blown away. Not just by the animation, uh, although obviously I'm a massive fan, but just by the concept and the sheer spirituality of it. It's a bit like waking up from a beautifully animated dream and desperately wanting to close your eyes and return to it. And the idea of soulmates, it's never been an idea that I've subscribed to. And I think that's mainly because that for me personally... Love has never come easy to me. But the themes in this movie of connection and links across years have me thinking of several situations in the past of Deja Vu where I've kind of thought that I've remembered someone or passed someone in the street and kind of had to take a second glance because I thought I'd recognised them. And then I kind of thought to myself, well, maybe I did know them. Maybe there is such a thing as like some other life where I knew this person. And maybe it's warned my icy cold heart to the possibility that love is out there. That there is someone out there who knows and understands me completely because maybe they were me at one point in the past. I don't know. It makes me believe that one day a random passing in the street could come to more. But I think mostly the thing that I've learned is that love is not bound by explanation. It kind of does transcend space and time. It's its own being. It's its own thing. If you try to explain it, you kind of never will. Sometimes you just get a feeling. And sometimes you just have to cross the line. Thank you for listening. As always, I would love to hear your thoughts on your name. And if you do like this episode or any episode, um, if you could take a moment to rate and review on something like Apple Podcasts or Podchaser or wherever you listen to podcasts, that would be incredible and I would be so grateful. And if you've already done that, I would just really appreciate it if you would tell a friend about this podcast. If you do like this episode on your name, uh, you might also like the following episodes. Uh, It is very anime heavy, but I'm going to start with episode 17, The Iron Giant, because... I am definitely going to recommend this movie every single time that I'm featuring another animated movie because The Iron Giant is so criminally underrated. It pains me every single day. Uh, It is a wonderful Brad Bird movie. It's from 1999. Uh, I've done an episode on it. It's episode 17 of this podcast. Please watch The Iron Giant and please listen to the episode on The Iron Giant. Um... Episode 28 was an episode that I did on Akira. It was with friends of the podcast, Anita and Kira from The Unexceptionals. It was a special live episode that we did together. Akira is one of those movies that you have to kind of see to truly witness the majesty of that movie. It is such a phenomenally beautiful movie with some really interesting themes as well. Uh, I would absolutely recommend you watch Akira and listen to Akira and then episode 29 Cuba and the Two Strings because again it's criminally underrated 
It's a like a movie. It's not their most popular movie, but it should be because it's wonderful. Episodes 33, Hell's Moving Castle. 34, My Neighbour Totoro. 35, Spirited Away. And 47, Princess Mononoke. So they are the four movies that I covered last year that were Hayao Miyazaki movies. Let's be honest, if you like this movie, you will love those movies. Episode 55, Moana. I mentioned earlier about 2016. Uh, obviously, I've already recommended Kubo. Kubo came out in 2016. Moana came out in 2016. And Your Name came out in 2016. 2016 was an excellent year for animation. And those three movies prove it. And finally, episode 75, Coco, which was the previous episode to this. There's some lovely little links between Coco and Your Name that I feel like you wouldn't necessarily connect them on a visual point of view but on an emotional point of view I can definitely picture Coco and Your Name together. Connection is something that Your Name talks about and I feel like when I watch Your Name I think of movies like Coco so I would recommend you listen to Coco as well. As always give me feedback on my recommendations. Do you think I missed anything? Let me know. So next episode we're moving to the fourth episode of animation season and there's one name in British animation that just stirs up positive memories watching creature comforts adverts and settling down and watching wallace and gromit it's a bit like british comfort food for british people and that is stuff by ardman animation and in 2000 ardman partnered with dreamworks and pathé for a little movie called chicken run you might have heard of it uh, chicken run is still the highest grossing stop motion animated movie of all time uh, it's not the only stop motion movie of this particular animation season, but it's the most excellent. Ha 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 ha. Made it funny. So anyway, episode 78 is going to be on Chicken Run. So make sure you join me for that slice of hopefully not chicken because I'm vegetarian pie next week. If you want to follow me, I am at Verbal Diorama on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and Letterboxd. If you wish to become a patron and get episodes six days earlier than everyone else, you can sign up at patreon.com slash verbal diorama. Uh, if you do wish to get episodes slightly earlier, you have to go for the $5 tier level. But there is also a $2 tier level as well. I think it's $2 or £2. And yeah, I'm not sure about the conversion rate, but it's something like that. And I'm still looking to give more value to patrons in 2021 but if you would like to sign up and support this little podcast so a massive thank you to the patrons of this podcast simon e Sade, hardy l claudia simon b laurel derek jason Kristen, kat andy mike griff luke emily michael matt trevor and scott thanks to them for being my soulmates possibly from another life and i just didn't know it i have a merch store it's at teespring.com slash store slash verbal diorama where you can buy merch and stuff hopefully more to come at some point in the near future uh, if you want to get in touch with me verbal diorama at gmail.com or over at verbaldiorama.com, there is a contact form if you want to read stuff that i write you can go over to filmstories.co.uk I have just submitted column number 13 for the magazine, so that will be out shortly. Um, and there are also online articles that I write, so check them out. And finally, that feeling of deja vu is there for a reason. Bye. <laughs>